Welcome to episode 88 of the Running on Ohm podcast. This is your host, Julia Hanlon, and I'm excited to have Julia Blaisdell, professional runner from Great Britain and Olympian on the podcast. The Running on Ohm podcast is founded upon the belief that by sharing the stories of innovative minds, it can spark your imagination and deliver encouragement and insight in your path to personal growth and transformation. I want to take a moment to thank all of the listeners who've been really supportive of this show and its mission. While being in Ethiopia the past two months, it has been such a joy to hear people's feedback on my experience and answer their questions. I've written a series of blog posts called the Yaya Journals on my time in Ethiopia, describing things like what I'm eating in Ethiopia to what it's like to train at almost 9,000 feet. All of these journal entries can be found on runningonom.com. Before we get into the interview with Julia Blaisdell, I want to ask the Running on Ohm community a favor. For the past year and a half, I've published over 87 podcasts with incredible teachers, athletes, and minds. I would love to know what you, yes, you who's listening right now, your feedback on the podcast. The easiest way for you to do this is to leave a review on iTunes. Your honest perspective will both help me better this podcast and also allow Running on Ohm to gain more visibility on the iTunes interface so that more like-minded people can find it. Leaving a review on iTunes will take you less than five minutes and make a world of difference. Let's jump into the show with Julia. I had the privilege of interviewing her in person at the Yaya Village in Ethiopia. I've been living in Ethiopia working with the Yaya Girls Program, a trimester school for adolescent Ethiopian female runners focused on gender empowerment, English language learning, and running. Julia Blaisdell has come to the Yaya Village numerous times, and this time she was here for a training block, and I had the privilege of really getting to know her on a day-to-day basis. We became both good friends, and she was truly a mentor to me. She is full of wisdom on running, training, and life, and I'm excited to share her story with you. In this episode, Julia tells her story of how she got into running, from balancing her passions of running and music in her youth to running competitively at Cambridge University. She reveals the challenging transition to professional running that was plagued by injury. The racing strategy behind running both the 5K and the 10K at the 2012 London Olympics. Julia's incredible experience racing in her home country for the 2012 London Olympics. What inspired Julia to first come to run in Ethiopia? Her advice on training at altitude. Julia's personal training philosophy. Why she loves trail running and her recent trip to Italy to run with Salomon's trail running team. Julia recaps her recent green sand trail marathon where she both won and set the course record. How to balance times for rest and recovery in one's training. Julia's unique perspective on the pros and cons of not running with a watch. Julia shares her take on why Ethiopian runners are among the best in the world. What Julia is excited about in her progression for the 2016 Olympics. All this and more on this episode of the Running on Ohm podcast. Oh. Welcome, Julia, to the Running on Ohm podcast. Hi, how are you doing? So I get to be sitting with Julia in Yaya Village in Ethiopia, and we've had the past couple weeks being together, talking, training together, 
And it has been such a joy to get to know her and be inspired by her, both in her running and in her life perspective. We'll hopefully get into both in this kind of interview, but I want to understand why did you start running and when did you first lace up your shoes? Um, well, my father was a runner in his youth, um, pretty capable. Well, he sort of ran about 30 minutes for a 10K. And I think when I was about six or seven, we were on a family holiday and every morning he went out for a run and I sort of watched him go and thought, well, where does he go? What does he do? And I think one morning I just said, hey, can I come along? And I don't have many memories from that run, but I do have a very small memory of sort of scrambling through a lovely field of corn and uh, that that's all I can remember. But once I'd gone for a jog with him or a little adventure exploring with him, um, I was hooked. And from then on, we, we kept on going jogging together and looking at new places and exploring exploring new places. That's so cool that your dad was your first running and training partner. When did you start running in a more organized way in a school or club system in the UK? Um, so my running developed from there... Just, you know, running once or twice a week with my father. Then when I was around age 10 or 11, he took me to the local athletics club and I'd go to the track uh, once a week with them. And it just was a kind of organic process that kept on growing. Um, sort of in my early teens, you know, I'd be training two to three times a week and and a f- do a few little more sessions with, with the club. And throughout my teens, it kind of grew and grew. And you ended up running at Cambridge in university. What was that experience like? Was it a big jump up from high school? I don't even know if it's called high school in the UK, but how was that transition for you? Um, So going to university, I mean, in my uh, secondary school, I was still sort of training with, uh, with the local club and then going to university, there was a university set up. It's not quite the collegiate system in the US and, and doesn't have that uh, th- that sort of breadth of uh, facilities offering. Um, at Cambridge, it was quite old school training, um, gritty, uh, a lot of cross country, but a lot of passion and inspiration. And I really, uh, really relished and loved that training opportunity. Uh, the guys and the girls trained together. Uh, we got out in all weathers. We did some fantastic stuff in in Wales and Yorkshire, and just had a lot of fun together, enjoying running, exploration, travel, and and uh, running through mud predominantly. There was also a bit of a track scene, but it was it was more about cross country at university. But uh, throughout my four years at Cambridge, I I progressed um, and uh, towards the end of my time at university I think I was almost fit enough to make the men's first team so so it definitely did uh help develop my running and uh, and I really had a great time I know as a youngster you also were really heavily involved in music and that was a really big part of your weekend life how did you decide you know at university that you were going to really focus on running as your extracurricular and not music as much um, well, throughout my teenage years, I spent um, Saturday mornings going to music school and often I'd be at um, 
often the, my music examination would fall on the same day as, as the county cross country. So I'd often go to the, my music examination, even with my athletics vest on. And then in the afternoon, I'd be uh, running to try to make the county team for, for the inter-counties competition. So um, I enjoyed a, a healthy mix of different activities throughout my teens. Um, when I went to university, I did initially... Uh, immerse myself in a bit of music in my first year at university I was uh, slightly injured um but you know different phases of your life uh, different activities uh are sort of more uh, dominant and and I just really enjoyed the sporting scene and the routine and, and the friendships I made there and so that became more of my university scene than the music yeah completely after university, how did you make the transition to professional running? Was it a decision that you were like, you know, I want to make the Olympics someday. This is a dream of mine. How did that unfold for you? Um, well, at, in my last year at university, I made my first England vest and I represented England for a very low key uh, 1500 metres race and didn't run particularly fast. But it was a real stepping stone to have uh, the country vest on and, and, and obviously the next uh, ambition was to have the British vest on. Um, at that point I probably wasn't really thinking clearly about Olympic ambition. I mean it's it's obviously everybody's dream or many people's dream to go to the Olympics um, but it wasn't really uh, the focus because you're just focusing on the next step in, in your progression as an athlete, just trying to better yourself and whatever that next step is, that's that's your initial focus. So then it was focusing on uh, getting a British vest, which I uh, did the following year, um, running uh, in Japan in a cheap record for the British team. Um, but then in my 20s, I uh, had some significant injuries. I had a, a stress fracture in the interior um, side of my hip. Um, and that took me out for a couple of years. Um, I was on crutches for two months and I, I just decided to step away or step back from the sport for a little while, give my body time to heal uh, and then slowly started returning to running. And I guess probably it was quite late in my 20s when I saw... Um, Shalane Flanagan uh, win the bronze um, at the Beijing Olympics. I think that helped spark, uh, you know, real dedication and focus um, and drive that, right, you know, in four years' time, um, the Olympic Games will be in London and, and let's give it everything to see if, see if that's possible. And it was possible and ended up going very well for you. When you look at the 5K and 10K, both of which you competed in, which one stands out for you as a, the race that you enjoyed the most? Um, it's difficult to say. Uh, when when you're competing over both the 5K and the 10K, um, my approach and my coach's approach at that time was to focus on the first competition. So we were fully focusing on the 10,000 metres and the 5,000 metres was, was a bonus um, if you run well in the first competition, it often fires you up and, and, and you can transition well into the second competition off that bus. So we were very, very much focused on the 10,000 metres. Um, and yeah, I mean, the, the atmosphere in the stadium for the 10,000 metres was absolutely incredible. I mean, but on other, at other times you're running and thinking, 
well, this is just another competition. And then and then a few minutes later, wow, this is the Olympic Games. It, it was over the 10,000 metres, you do have a long time to think. Um, <laughs> but you also must concentrate because it's a long, long way. And, and when the break happens, you have to try and give it all to to, to stay with the stay in the game. So that was a, a phenomenal experience. And, and coming away with eighth place was uh, a real joy and, and then to share a victory lap of the stadium uh, w- was very special to thank the crowd for their fantastic support throughout the, the whole 30, 31 odd minutes. Um, but then the 5,000 metres, which uh, was three days or four days later, um, the heat, um, it gave me a second opportunity to, to, to do more laps of the Olympic Stadium and um, it was almost a bonus where I could just relax and enjoy and, and that would undoubtedly bring the best out of me. So um, it was nice having having both events and, and getting uh, 51 laps of the track, which I think is, is the maximum of any athlete. Definitely, that is the maximum. Was there anyone else that year that did the 5K, 10K double? So Joe Pavey, the other British female, uh, did the double and so did Mo Farah so the three of us had a uh, maximum usage of the track and uh, maximum time in the stadium so um, I think it's uncharacteristic that that three athletes in the British team uh, were all doubling up. What was it like for you to be in your home home country? Um, I, I, I don't think beforehand I anticipated how incredible an experience it would be I'm obviously very familiar with London and, and sometimes uh, the thought of going to an exotic or faraway place for an Olympic Games seems more appealing. But as soon as I entered uh, the Olympic Village and, and was part of part of the Games experience, um, I was bowled over with, you know, what a one-off incredible uh, experience it would become. Um, just... In, in the Olympic Stadium, the 5,000-meter heat, um, towards the finishing straight, I, I was leading with uh, Molly Huddle from the US, and and the roar of the crowd was so electric, it was so deafening that my ears were buzzing and my head was hurting. And um, to have 80,000 uh, people predominantly <laughs> cheering for you is really something quite unique and something I'll never experience again. But... Um, you know, I made the most of the most of the time, and um, and and it uh, will remain with me forever. Yeah, it sounds like an incredibly magical memory. Altitude training has been paramount to preparing for the Olympics in 2012, and currently in your training here in Ethiopia now. How did you first start training with altitude, and when did you first come to Ethiopia, and why? Um, well, I've been training at Eth. Um, at altitude uh, for quite a few years now um, but only really on focusing on this high altitude in Ethiopia um, since the Olympics I mean the 5,000 meters the 10,000 meters and the marathon for the women in London were all won by Ethiopian females so it can't be a, a bad place to be um, but I first came to Ethiopia in 2006 when I was invited by Richard Nuroka, who came fifth at the Atlanta Olympics in the marathon for the Great British team, um, post uh, running career, he uh, came over to Ethiopia uh, to work with Haile Gebre Selassie in setting up the Great Ethiopian Run. Um, the first edition of that race took place, I believe, in uh, 
2001. Um, and it's been going from strength to strength ever since. But in 2006, he invited two British females to come out for another of their satellite events, the Women's Run, in March. Um, I applied, I got chosen, and before I knew I was on the plane to Ethiopia. And um, just from the onset, it was a truly magical experience. Um, Richard immersed us in Ethiopian culture and way of life. We got on the taxis, we traveled around town, went to different training locations. We met with different Ethiopian athletes and, and just absorbed everything. And it left a real big impression on me. And um, I've been coming back pretty much every year since um, and also traveling in other areas of the country up to the Simeon Mountains and to La Libella and um, but since the London Games I've been having uh, increased time in Ethiopia and really dedicated uh, training blocks there's now over here a western style facility a sort of a training camp it's called the Yaya Village it's not really a camp it's more of a hotel but um it's the perfect location for athletes to be able to have everything catered for, food, drink, um, gym, access to trails, massage. So uh, I've been using this facility and um, and uh, reaping the benefits, training at 2,800 metres of altitude. What do you think is something that people don't know about what it means to train at altitude in comparison to training at sea level? For someone who's never come to altitude, what are some things you have to keep in mind? Um, I mean, for myself, my experience, altitude works for many different reasons. It's not just uh, the, the benefits of uh, altitude training, increasing the red blood cell count, but it's also being in a training camp uh, environment. It's about um, running slower for the same cardiovascular um, input. So uh, slower running means slightly less intensity on the on the body and therefore uh, and also running slower you're clocking um, more time on the legs for the same distance so I found that coming here I can I can get a greater volume of training done um, there's soft grass there's uh, undulating trail so it's not always the the unidirectional running straight lines you're jumping from rock to rock you're going around trees and and that keeps the body supple and dynamic as well. So there's all these different elements that sort of come together uh, here in Ethiopia. And um, I think it's just important when you come somewhere this high to, to really embrace uh, the way that some of the locals are training because uh, they're obviously doing something right and, um, and, and know their environment very well. So it's to come with an open mind, have your ideas uh, of your training philosophy and 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 uh, what you want to achieve in the time but also um, be flexible and open to, to see what's going on around and, and to learn from others um, because you'll probably experience some feelings you've never felt before and um, <laughs> but you can reap the benefits if you if you listen to the body and uh, and uh, go about it the right way what is your personal training philosophy right now? Um, well, for myself, um, what has shown to work and the way in which my body responds really well is to have, uh, you know, a, a lot of training volume, but to not too fast pace and to then do some intensity on top. So um, if I can get 
big training blocks done where I've, I'm doing a lot of running at a good steady steady pace um but less focus on the intense workouts and just doing a, a couple a week um then I can keep the body running at a good pace um and not too slow in in terms of needing recovery um and I can just stimulate the, the right systems in the intense workouts so um by getting week after week of those logged I really can uh, see good benefits. Definitely. And watching your training unfold here, something I love is how you really do explore so much of the different terrains here. I mean, just last week you ran from the Yaya Village to Addis, which was about over 15 miles for sure. And you had paved your own kind of path in getting there and own trail. Talk to me a little bit more about your love of trail running and exploring and your recent trip to Italy with the Salomon team where you got to get a window into their world. Why do you love the mountains? Um, I'm not sure. I think the mountains lie deep within my blood. My parents met in the mountains and, and have been taking me there since uh, a young age. When I say the mountains, I'm referring actually to, to the Alps. Um, and many members of my family have you know, been hiking and walking in the Alps. And uh, there's something about the hills and the rolling terrain uh really sort of lies close to the heart and appeals to me but also just a sense of um exploration um just in just sort of roaming free in the environment just uh observing nature and and, and just enjoying uh undulating trails you know where you're jumping around you're feeling uh your legs flow when you when you're fit and um sort of dynamic movements um that you get on that as opposed to a, a, a sort of a road or, or the track. Um, maybe it's something also to do with uh, the nature of the way my body moves. I, I'm very flexible, I'm very dynamic, and I actually feel more stable on a trail than I do on a very smooth surface. Um, it's the way I sort of fling my limbs around, I guess. But uh, I don't know, it's something that's always appealed to me and often uh, helps me to get the most out of my body um, sometimes I'm doing my tempo runs on very undulating single track when other people would never ever consider doing that but uh, when I feel that I'm floating and flying along a trail and my heart's singing then I get the best out of my body so um, that's uh, I guess where my my heart and my joy lie um, but traveling to Italy last month um, with the Salomon team, it was really refreshing to, to see uh, see a, a different kind of running event. I'd never been to a sky running event before and uh, doing a training run with some of the, the top trail runners was a lot of fun as well. Um, they seem quite uh, fluid um, and more relaxed in their approach to training and you know, it's interesting to bounce ideas off them and share passions and joys for the hills and and who knows uh, what ha will happen in the future. Um, I definitely hope to explore the trails more in competition. Definitely. And I know you did a trail marathon, more just as a fun training run for yourself. Will you tell a little bit more about that story and what inspired you to jump in that marathon? Because it was your first official marathon race yeah yeah no um i used to live in the surrey hills which is just a 
uh, an area of outstanding natural beauty uh, to the southwest of London. It's not far away from London, in fact, um, maybe just uh, around 30 kilometres, but uh, within the Surrey Hills is the highest point in southeast England. Um, it's not particularly high, <laughs> it's um, either just under a thousand feet. Um, and at the top of that hill, there's a tower um, called Lethal Tower built to. To, to get the highest point above a thousand feet but um in the build-up to the olympics I, I lived in the surrey hills and often my uh evening run would be running up to the tower touching the tower running back down again and and many people maybe do not realize that um track athletes do also run hills and do run trail and um you know to have a 20 minute uphill run as, as your evening relaxing run is probably quite unique but um you can really get strong in the hills and so I know the area very well I, I, I love those those trails in the Surrey Hills and every autumn I would see uh, see a group of runners go past wonder what was going on they'd all have numbers on it, it would say the Green Sands Marathon and so I always thought well one year I must take part um, and just share the experience and the joy of the Surrey Hills with these with this event and, and the people who take part so um this year I, I plan to take part and um and that I did but uh you know I didn't have any expectation if I needed to drop out I would have done so it, it wasn't really about doing a marathon or doing a particular distance it was just about sharing um uh, my love of that area um with a different group of athletes and it it was really really good fun I mean uh, there was just such camaraderie between the group and uh, there was about 150 athletes and off we went it was an out and back loop and on the way back everyone was cheering me on and high-fiving me and uh, it was quite a tough course to be honest I mean there's 1,100 meters climb there were steps there were stiles there were gates um, there were puddles there was sand um, but all of those challenges just added to the joy and I pretty much tracked the leading man till about probably about 21 miles and then saw my opportunity on a nice fast downhill sandy descent and then took the lead and just flew down the hill just enjoying myself with the wind in my hair and um came into the finish line not having worn a watch I was quite surprised by the time and I think there were carrots to eat at the end and, and then everyone came across the line and wanted to hear my story I wanted to hear their story so it was just a real sort of family atmosphere just a, a share sharing of of the events and uh, it was it was a lot of fun that's really beautiful I think that's so cool that you didn't wear a watch and that you're completely running by feel that's something that I've recently read Matt Fitzgerald's book 8020 talking about running by perceived effort and feel and I feel like that is really something that you embody tell me a little bit about how rest recovery nutrition play a role in your training just because after something like a trail marathon where there's a lot of climbing a lot of dynamic challenging terrain your body's obviously going to need to take a break how do you listen to your body and how do you know when to step away or step back yeah I think it's maybe something that you just learn over the years and the the more miles you run and the the more competitions you do and uh you just maybe the, the more injuries and mistakes you've made um but the sort of the most the more successful years i've had are when i've 
become more in tune with my body and being able to listen to to what's going on but also you know it's a fine line because sometimes you need to go out for that second run and are you really feeling tired and is that you know a good tiredness because you know training is training and you've you've got to to get it done as well and um or is it you know a warning sign that your body needs extra rest and it's it's sometimes a close call and then you just uh you know trying to try to work out exactly how you're feeling which isn't always easy but just going back to the the watch uh scenario you were stating um you know it, it's really good to sort of feel within um your effort and and how hard you're working and then the more you train the 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 better you become at doing so but um the watch can often be very beneficial but often be detrimental because uh, you, as soon as you look at your watch you're going to have an emotional response so it might be oh gosh I'm going too fast um maybe I'm going too fast I'm not I'm not going to keep this up or or oh no I'm going too slow I've, I've got to speed up and and maybe now and again it will be oh I'm spot on but um it's always going to be emotional response and that triggers you know different chemicals in, in your body and and and, and which will undoubtedly have an effect on, of how you feel. And so just being very in control deep down of, of how you're feeling is really important. Um, and, uh, and learning not to have to look at your watch every few seconds. Um, yeah. Coming back to your time in Ethiopia, you've had the opportunity to run with some pretty amazing runners and train with some groups here. What for you would you say is the reason why Ethiopian runners are so, so successful? Like, what do you think it is? Um, I think it's a, a combination of factors. There's not one, one singular factor. I mean, obviously, altitude uh, does have a role. Um, it has a role in the development of uh bodies from 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 birth at a young age uh the strength of the lungs the strength of the, the the heart and the systems and and when children have been brought up uh walking to school running to school being very active and having a very sort of simple but nutritious diet um there's certain developments that go on i mean i go running here and i'm running maybe six kilometers out into into the landscape and i'm seeing children who might only be halfway on their way to school um to where i've come from and so then i think oh when if i'm feeling tired then i i stop feeling tired automatically as soon as i see that but um so there's those elements but there's also a very uh high level of determination there's a hunger amongst the athletes and and the real drive to uh to make a better life for themselves but also passion for running which is the national sport here um there's a lot of good role models um amongst the highly successful athletes here and there's also a very large pool of people who are who are running twice a day and training uh, to a very high level so uh, when you think about the uk for example there might be well maybe a hundred long distance runners who are um you know training twice a day full time or, or something of that nature and here you're talking 20 times that amount so th there's a large pool just even here in Addis Ababa and from that large pool there will undoubtedly be 
you know, a few remarkable, remarkable athletes. So it's a combination of, of things. What athlete here have, have you found has inspired you the most? Someone who's remarkable, whether they've made it into the international scene or someone you've had the opportunity of training with who's maybe on their road there? Um, so many different athletes have given me all different experiences and perspectives and in sort of forms of inspiration. I mean, Heidi Gabriselassi is obviously uh, a global uh, inspiration. He's he's a remarkable and unique athlete with with the biggest smile on this planet, I believe. Um, but amongst the females, Tunesh Dababa, Mesut de Five, bumped into Dorati Tulu in the forest. I mean, everyone's got uh, unique characteristics, unique strengths, and um, and have inspired me in all manners of different ways. Um, and then just uh, even just getting inspiration. Uh, from the landscape and the people who I see within the landscape so you know I'm, I'm running out an hour or two into the landscape and then seeing people in their communities in their rural communities working hard or, or having joy with relatively little or, or, or whatever they're doing but um, there's been so many different elements that have brushed off onto me and, and have really inspired me in my training. Yeah. In your life, who has been a big role model for you? I know you have a really tight-knit family. Has there been any family member, teacher, or coach, runner that stands out as a big inspiration? Um, yeah, again, it's just uh, a lot of people. Uh, the people who have supported and believed in me uh, all along the way. Um, and family members, uh, my fiancé, um you know, just, just friends, there's just a, a lot of people. But, um, you know, in my 20s, there were times when, when I thought people were probably thinking when I met them, <laughs> gosh, what, you're still running? Um, you know, because for many, many years, I'd had problems, ups and downs, and and uh, hadn't really sort of attained uh, the standard I was looking for. And it took a long, long time. I mean, uh, to, to, to make the Olympic team and then to have have that success but um, yeah so those people who've been with me all all on the way and uh, you know and continued to support and and inspired me and I've inspired them it's it's just a sort of a you know been a a, a group drive towards towards that goal yeah, it's been definitely a collective effort. I mean, even I remember you describing to me after the Olympics, having a picnic with your family just right outside the stadium and how kind of beautiful and what a homecoming that was. Yeah, it was just uh, great to be able to share the experience with so many of my family and friends. And, um, and uh, even a year before the Olympics, you know, some of those friends were asking well what event are you going to be doing and I was kind of half-heartedly saying you know I'll be in, I'll be in the 10,000 meters and and then the realization came that you know many of these friends have spent a lot of money for for some expensive tickets so I better darn be there so <laughs> better, you know pull my socks up and get on with it so um you know but it was just nice that so many people believed and 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 you know wanted to be part of part of the journey when you look ahead in this next year, the next couple years, 2016 Rio, what is exciting you with running? I think what's exciting me most is 
every time I'm coming to Ethiopia, I'm feeling stronger and stronger, and I believe it can feel sort of play an important role in, in my progression to 2016. I mean, um, this year I I ran 15:06, winning Carlsbad 5000 in April, and before then I'd been in Ethiopia for a big six-week block, and just you know. Uh, had six weeks of very good uh, high volume training, not too much intensity. I'd come back, I'd done a few little sharpening up braces and then, and then performed in Carlsbad. And um, that gave me real sort of, uh, real sort of uh, positivity, sort of that, um, you know, training at altitude and, and putting in some good miles, I, I can get strong and, and sort of, push on because you know before 2012 when I ran at Carlsbad it was in the range of I, I think I ran 1547 so I almost yeah I knocked off 41 seconds um, so going forwards each time I'm coming back um, to Ethiopia I'm getting stronger and now I feel more I feel that I'm at the point where I can embrace more uh, training with Ethiopians and high level Ethiopian groups um, so in this winter and the next, I hope to really sort of push on in the training and, and, and to embrace some of that training and uh, see where it will take me. Beautiful. To close up our interview, I have a few fun either or questions. Early bird or night owl? Early bird. Tea or coffee? Coffee. Maybe this one's a given, but mountains or oceans? <laughs> mountains. And the last one is, if you had a superpower, would you rather fly or be invisible? Gosh, I'm not sure about that one. Um, I guess fly. <laughs> to get a good uh, view of the landscape and the mountains. Thank you so much, Julia, for sharing your story on the Running On Own podcast. It's been a really a lovely time. Thank you. I've really enjoyed it. Om. Thanks for listening to episode 88 of the Running on Om podcast with Julia Blaisdell, professional runner from Great Britain and Olympian. Before I sign off, I want to ask the Running on Om community a favor. For the past year and a half, I've published over 87 podcasts with incredible teachers, athletes, and minds. I would love to know your feedback on the podcast and your honest perspective will allow me to better this podcast and for the Running on Own podcast to gain more visibility on the iTunes interface so that more like-minded people can find and benefit from it. Leaving a review on iTunes will take you less than five minutes and really make a world of difference. This is your host, Julia Hamlin, and I hope you have a beautiful day.